Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, WHUT-TV, Sirius XM Channel 141, 96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Insight Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. Whether it's a brush with the law, action taken against your business, or getting your affairs in order, often you need a lawyer. Well, tonight we have our Ask the Lawyer segment, and my guests are some of the best and brightest legal minds that are right here in studio. My guests are Prince Williams from the Avid Law Firm, Marlon Griffith with the Griffith Law Group, and William Lightfoot with Lightfoot Law. Lines are open. Give us a call if you have a comment or a question at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. You can X me at hfisherwhur. Or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Let's start with you, Bill. (laughs) I'm going to start with you. As I'm sure uh, you know, the mayor just this week released her new crime-fighting package of bills, the uh, Act Now legislation. And there's been a lot of criticism about them, certainly, and a lot of questions. The thing that I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask about the allowing of of police to... The legislation would allow neck holds, but not throat holds. Good idea, bad idea, and you have to put on your your medical hat. <laughs> what what's the difference between neck and throat? <laughs> well, let's start with why this was necessary in the first place. Uh, it really grew out of the incident where we had the man stro- uh, strangled to death, all right, in in Minnesota, and from that and other and other instances, I should say, and it became clear that the police were using excessive force in a way that was unnecessary and was harming victims, um, and and so that needed to be changed. So the council passed a law that made it more stringent about how the police could not put their arms around someone's neck or throat for that matter. And for that reason, many police officers, though, continued to do that and were being punished. And the concern was that when they were being punished now, they're being punished unfairly without a full understanding of what needed to be done to actually apprehend the criminal. So based upon that, Mayor Bowser has introduced legislation to change those guidelines. It would still be unlawful or improper police tactics to strangle someone with the intent of harming them. But if you need to do it to restrain the person for their own safety, the public safety, and the police officer's safety, then the mayor has weaken those guidelines so there'll be more leeway and more discretion for the police to use this chokehold or throat hold as you want to call it. And 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 that's the thing. Uh, is it neck hold or throat hold? Because certainly if you watch enough law and order, you, uh, what do you 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 hear about uh you know, breaking of, of neck bones and strangulation, you know, and, and the like. And and for some people, this is this could be really troubling. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. It's a major concern. That's one reason we have public hearings. Uh, the council will hold a public hearing on this legislation to clarify the intent of the law and the definitions used in the law. Clearly, the intent is that the police are not to use a strong a chokehold to harm someone. 
It's strictly for the purpose of detaining this person until they are calm enough to be arrested and then, you know, put, put in jail and, and with follow-up. I mean, one of the other things, and gentlemen, if you, you're certainly welcome to jump in or not if you don't want to talk about pending legislation. But uh, you know, one of the other things that is in this Act Now legislation is that it would allow police officers to review body cam video before writing reports. Again, that it, it could be argued that this legislation is giving uh, police officers an opportunity to get the story straight. And, you know, where it's, you know, in, in the past and, and currently, as we know, if if an officer has his body cam on and he can say, well, this is what happened. And then it may be different. There may be contradictions about what the officer says versus what is actually seen on the on the you know on the video. Uh, you know, Marlon, any thoughts about that? Is that. Do you think that's good policy? Do you think it really matters in a court? Oh, I think it absolutely matters. Um, police officers are trained to write reports based on their trained recollection of what happened. They're not trained to review video and then write a report. My concern is by having the video available, they can shape their version of how something occurred. Um, often in, in court, these cases often turn on the credibility of police officers, where often their police reports do not match their testimony. And now with the advent of, of, of cameras, does not match the video. And many innocent people are able to prove their innocence because of that. Now, if this law passed, my concern and I'm not talking about all police officers, officers right, but my sure. concern is that those police officers are already natural bad actors would, would just become more better at being a bad actor because now they'd be able to shape their story consistent with the video. But, you know, Prince, it, it could also work in, in the favor of, of, of an alleged victim as well if... You know, if they have a chance, to, and it really kind of depends on what the in the particular case is, what the particular offense is. But it it may, it could very well be helpful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, oftentimes, it is helpful, but you know, when it comes to these matters, and we get to court, a lot of times it is challenging the credibility of a lot of the the officers and kind of what they're reporting and. Just like, you know, he stated, you know, it's not all officers, but we are having credibility issues with officers, especially in the communities where there's a lot of minorities, because a lot of times it's presumed in certain areas that certain things are happening. And so it's easy for them to write a report in a certain way. But when they're able to look at the camera, just like you stated, they're able to kind of fashion a story that one would probably have less holes to poke in when it comes to that credibility in a trial. Yeah. Uh, and if I no, may... No, go ahead, Bill. And, yeah, and then, qu quickly, let's remember that body cams for police officers are a recent phenomenon. Yes. Um, I worked with Mayor Bowser to actually develop the proposal for the District of Columbia. So that wasn't that very... It's been very recent in D.C. that we've even had this. We're one of the leaders in the nation in the use of body cams. I think it's a fair comment that 
we want to be sure that the officer is telling the truth. Therefore, you would say, well, don't let that officer watch the body cam. But we all know that people's memories have a lapse to them. Uh, I think they, they, what the mayor is saying and the police department is saying, look, these officers have gone through a lot of training. They've gone through a lot of screening. We do believe that they're charged with doing the public good. They're not trying to do the harm to the public. Give the officer an opportunity to tell the truth. And then we can use these videos as a training mechanism. Those that are bad apples, yeah, you'll, you'll find other ways to impeach their credibility. But we have a time right now where it is very difficult to be a police officer. And to start out with the presumption that they're at fault in some way, and this video is going to be used as a gotcha mechanism, I think that runs contrary to the idea of training people and helping them to do better. 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. We are having our Ask the Lawyers segment here on WHUR and WHUT-TV. If you have a comment or a question, give us a call. Lines are loaded right now. I promise I will be getting to you, and we will continue to take those phone calls even uh, after 7.30. Let's talk about some other issues. We are coming into the holidays right now, and one of the biggest concerns uh, is drunk driving. So if you are out celebrating and you decide to get in your car when you've had one too many and you are pulled over by the police what should you expect from that officer and what should you do to uh, protect yourself legally anybody's first Harold if you allow me I know you use the term drunk driving but we have to be careful particularly here in DC it's really driving on to the influence because other drugs count as well you cannot go out and drink and and smoke all the cannabis you want and say well I'm (laughs) free to drive as I I want even though you might be driving slowly Mm -hmm. it still matters right you're still impaired okay right potentially impaired so that's just want that clarification I think the first thing though in dealing with with a, a DUI is that you should cooperate with the police officers as it relates to to the basic questions. You know, driver's license, your insurance, those type of basic questions, where do you live, those type of things, right? Now, after that, it gets a little trickier. Um, now, in, in D.C., you, you have the, the two, two aspects of it. You can cooperate with a police officer. The police officer says, I want you to, to do what we call a roadside Test. Or there's that sobriety test. Sobriety test. test. Mm -hmm. You know, people have seen that on TV, you know, to walk and turn, stand on one foot and hop around and all those certain kind of these kind of tests. Now, usually the police officer only does that for the purpose of trying to establish at that point a probable cause that you may be under the influence. But what if you're clumsy anyway? That's, you know, that's my point. (laughs) <laughs> That's why it's really, really supposed to be used just to establish probable cause. It's for the police officer to decide whether to arrest you or not. Not necessarily as as proof of for a conviction, but more to prove um, whether the police officer should arrest you. Usually, police officer makes that decision that he's going to arrest you. Then you are taken down to the precinct. And at that point, you are asked to submit to either a blood test or, or a breath test or a urine test. Right? And you have the legal right to refuse. There are some repercussions, uh, uh, obviously, if you refuse. What are the repercussions they, if you refuse? Potentially having your license revoked, your privilege to drive in, in, this, in, this, in the jurisdiction in which you were stopped. Um, that can, that can, you know, it can be revoked just for your refusal, right? 
Now, obviously, if the if there's no evidence of intoxication because you refuse to take a blood alcohol a blood test or or a um a, a, a breath test, then obviously you can still be arrested, still be charged. But now the government will now have a challenging or different have to be able to prove your intoxication in part based on the observations of the police officer, which includes these field sobriety tests. So you you made a point earlier when I asked the question, and I think it's really important. You said it's not just alcohol, but you could also be, you know, drug impaired. Mm -hmm. What about impairment under legal medical prescription? Well, I mean, everyone remember... um, I don't remember. Everyone remember um, the Tiger Woods situation ah, when yeah. he was pulled over and he was clearly um, from from the images under the influence. Well, in that situation, those drugs were legal prescriptions, mm-hmm. right? So you can still, I mean, think about it. Al- alcohol is legal as well, right? 21. But I'm talking about a medical prescription. So I mean, if if I'm if, if I've been prescribed Ambien. Sure. Or what if I have a legal painkiller because I have back problems or something like that, and and I and I fall asleep? You know, this, this that can impact the resolution of your case, and maybe in some instances impact whether the prosecutor decides to charge you or not. Or not. But there's still a level of what we call a standard of care that you have responsibility to not ingest certain medicines and then do certain activities. I'm sure there's many medicines that you uh, retake where it says don't use machine machinery. Right, cough syrup. Cough syrup, whatever it may be. So you're still, and that's why it's on those labels. So you as a human human being, a citizen, is still required to kind of follow uh, the advice Mm -hmm. and and the disclaimers. Mm -hmm. Let me go to the phone lines, 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. This is the Ask the Lawyer segment on WHUR and WHUT-TV. Let's talk to Leah. Leah calling from Maryland. Leah, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, I think I was basically terminated for the wrong reasons. I was working for a company. I worked from home and they basically said that HR requested my termination for my absences, but I missed a whole week of work because the computers that they gave me were not working. And so my question is, what do I do from here? You want to? Who, who wants to? Who wants to I, take I, that? I, I'll, I'll take the first stab at it. Okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the law in the District of Columbia, not Maryland or Virginia. Okay. In D.C., we have a, um, a termination at will, meaning that an employer can terminate an employee for any reason, as long as it is not an illegal reason such as those enumerated in our Human Rights Act, race, sex, sexual orientation, religious orientation, there's a long list. So if you can argue that you were terminated for one of those illegal reasons stated in the Human Rights Act, then there's a very elaborate process that you can go through to get justice for that. But if on the other hand, the employer terminated the caller, for for example, because she wasn't properly using the equipment, I'll just say that, then that's a valid reason. 
There's nothing illegal about terminating someone because they don't know how to do something the employer says is an aspect of a job. You can be terminated at will except for certain illegal reasons. Mm-hmm. So you would recommend, if she wants to fight this, that she definitely needs to find a lawyer? Well, this is what I would recommend. Absolutely, she needs to speak to a lawyer. Now, obviously, given the context of this show, it's a lot of other questions a lawyer sure. would have of her, basically her age, her race, sexual orientation, all of the things that that, that Bill just mentioned. And it also it would need a, a, a true understanding of what her job performance is supposed to be, what was she required to do, what was communication with her and the employee regarding these computers not working. Did she abandon, because maybe the, the, the employer is saying she abandoned her, her job, which would be a, a, a legal basis to, to terminate someone if they, they decided she had abandoned the job by not, not showing up for work, even remotely. So there's a lot of other issues that she would have to really to, truly discuss with an employment attorney that she be advised accordingly. Okay. Leah, uh, good luck to you. Thank you for your phone call. 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Ms. Johnson calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling, Ms. Johnson. What's on your mind? Hi. I am a citizen of Maryland, and I work for the state of Maryland. However, I am now facing a labor law situation with uh, my employer, which is a supervisor on my job. Um, I am a part of the union in Maryland and AFSCME. Uh, we have had several complaints about this particular supervisor at the district that I work at. Um, people have filed grievances. People have quit. I filed the grievance. I won the grievance. However, um, due to some sort of technicality in Maryland, they refused to remove me from the building that this person works in. Um, I have been removed from her as a supervisor because I was her assistant supervisor. However, this has gone on for months. Um, and now what has happened was um, my union representative um, back in August the 29th um, sent to me a um, petition of no confidence. And what he asked me to do was simply find out whoever on my job wanted to sign this uh, petition. So I said to him, can you send it to my personal email, not my government email under the state of Maryland? So, so Ms. Johnson, I, I, this sounds really complex. Let me ask you, I need you to just bring it home. What's your question? The question is, this person has now filed a grievance or complaint, complaint with the HR department. However, that complaint is now becoming a reprimand, which means it will go on my permanent record for the state of Maryland. I've worked for them for 10 years, have never had this issue. My question is, I have to do an appeal to them. But my conversation to them is, her charge is that I circulated this petition. And they found it that I was wrong in that form of bullying to her. So this is become a bullying situation so hold on because i've got to take a break and when we come back i'll see if my panel can address your issue this is the daily drum on whur and sirius xm channel 141 and whut tv i'm harold fisher if you're on the phone hang on we will be back in just a bit john mons is next with the original quiet storm on whur we'll be back in just a few seconds (laughs) 